0: Welcome to the Lost Roman Heroes Podcast. My name is Matthew. And my name is Matteo. And together, we are diving deep into the history of Rome from its founding to its death, uncovering Rome's greatest heroes along the way, and we are ranking them. And in this episode, Matteo, we are going to focus on a name that's going to sound familiar, but it's a bit of a head fake. Publius Cornelius Scipio Aemilianus Africanus. Wow. Wow, right? Yeah. I bet you want to know where that Africanus came from. Mm, let me take a guess. Are you guessing?
1: Oh, no, I was just saying that. <laughs> All, right.
0: All right, well, we are definitely going to get into it. To our listeners, this episode is going to be a little tiny bit on the long side, about an hour, because we are going to cover not just Emilianus, but the Third Punic War. And not to spoil the story, this is the final chapter in the Clash of Titans, which was the Punic Wars between Rome and Carthage. So let's jump in. First of all, as we do each episode, let's orient ourselves on the map and in time. We are still in the city of Rome, Matteo. There will come a point in this podcast in the not-too-distant future where we will not be beginning in Rome, but we are still there. We are right where we ended our last episode, but the year now is 185 BCE, or BC, which is the year in which Emilianus was born, and about two years after, uh, excuse me, two years before Scipio Africanus died. Scipio Africanus died in 183, Emilianus was born in
1: 185. In 185 BCE, well, what was going on around that time? Well, in India, the curtains were finally closing on the, on the Mauryan Empire. Uh, the Seleucid Empire, which is one of the mightiest Hellenistic states and uh, successor states from Alexander's Great Empire, it was navigating through royal dramas and territorial challenges. In China, the Han Dynasty was in its early chapters, setting the stage for a golden age of prosperity and innovation. That's a good setup. Yeah.
0: We're finally out of the Warring States period in China, I take it. Yeah. Finally out of the Warring States period. (laughs) And it lasted a long time. All right. So, let's catch up now on the history of Rome. We ended up our last episode with the end of the Second Punic War. We all remember that Scipio had defeated Hannibal at the Battle of Zama in 202. And Scipio then concluded a gracious, and I would say, generous peace. Matteo with Carthage, leaving them independent with their own culture. They were able to trade, but they were not able to wage war without Rome's consent. That's a very important point, Matteo. We're going to be coming back to that in a big way in this episode. Right. So after Zama, Scipio returned to Rome to wild popular acclaim. He was the savior of the Republic, a massive hero. He earned the agnomen Africanus. And the people wanted him to be, essentially, the first Caesar, but he refused. Why? He was a strong believer in democracy. He was. He was a 35-year-old guy with a world in his hand, and he chose to uphold the republic and republican virtues rather than doing what I guess most 35-year-olds would do when literally the entire world is ready to hand him complete and absolute power
1: didn't go Darth Vader
0: I'm so happy you said that you said to me in the car the other day when we were talking about this episode in this period of the Republic that it reminded you a little bit of Star Wars and that epic scene when Anakin
1: finally turns to the dark side and he's marching up the steps of the Jedi temple and you hear the Imperial March for the first time and it's like it's the transition from the Republic to the Empire gives me chills yeah
0: and it's going to give you chills too in this episode because I since you said that to me I see it and I hear it and I feel it throughout the life of Emilianus not to say that he is on the dark side I'll leave that up to the listeners and us at the end to judge and determine so Republic Scipio says, no, I don't want absolute power. He had one final campaign with his brother, was very successful. Again, defeated a foe, but left the foe in power. Humbled, but treated him decently. That was Antiochus of of Syria. And when Scipio returned to Rome, he was accused by corruption. Who was leading the charge? A fellow named Cato the Elder. And finally, embittered by an ungrateful Senate, Scipio retired to his country home, and shortly thereafter, he died and was buried in his country home. Refused to be buried in the city of Rome. Rome continued after Scipio's death, their wars of expansion, but now, Matteo, their focus was in the east and no longer in the west. And that is where the curtain rises on Scipio Emilianus.
1: I do have a question. Yes? Was his country home the estate of the Scipios that we went to outside of Rome?
0: No. We don't know exactly where his country home was, but it was somewhere in Campania, we believe. So we went to see the tomb of the Scipios, the Scipio family tomb, that was just on the outskirts of Rome on the Appian Way. So we're in 185 now, Mateo. And to really understand who this guy was, let's understand where he came from. To our listeners, please go to www.lostromanheroes.com, go to the images and maps page, and you're going to see a Scipio Gracchus Paulus family tree. And there you will see that this fellow, Scipio Emilianus, was not only the grandson of Scipio Africanus, Matteo, little twist. He was the adopted grandson of Scipio Africanus, and he was also the grandson of a former consul named Paulus. Do you remember Paulus from the Battle of Cannae?
1: Was he the guy that lost?
0: Yeah, he and was one of the two consuls that... Died? That, he was the one that died. He was one of the two consuls that fought at Cannae against Hannibal, and he was the one that died. And Scipio Africanus married Paulus's daughter. So this guy, Emilianus, is both the... Son-in-law, excuse me, the the adopted grandson of Scipio Africanus, as well as the son of the consul Paulus, which is a little bit confusing. So, like, brother-in-law? Let me try to break this down. I was confused, too. Paulus had a son, also named Paulus, Lucius Aemilius Paulus Macedonicus. Paulus Macedonicus was a general that fought in the east against Philip of Macedon, and he won. Scipio Africanus was friends with this Paulus Macedonicus because Macedonicus, when Scipio Africanus was accused of embezzlement and defrauding the state by Cato, Macedonicus was one of the few people in the Senate that stood up for Africanus and said, absolutely not. So, Emilianus is the son of that Paulus Macedonicus. Right. So, how did he get to be Scipio's adopted grandson? Scipio had a son named Publius Cornelius Scipio. The ancient Romans made things extremely <laughs> confusing because everybody essentially had the same name in a family. So this guy, who was son of Africanus of the son of Africanus, was dying without a child. And before he died, he said, "I need an heir." He looked around and he saw Emilianus, who was a young man at the time, only nine years old, but he had good stuff. He was off to a good start. So Scipio Africanus's son adopted Emilianus, and that is how this man is both the adopted grandson of Africanus as well as grandson of the former consul of Rome. That's Uh, pretty cool. In other words, he was pretty well set up when he came into this world. Something like that. Something like that. So sorry, he was 11 years old when he was adopted by Scipio Africanus' son, Lucius. So this is where he appears in history, Matteo on the dawn of the Third Macedonian War. We're talking 171 BC, and Emilianus was only 14 years old when his father... His m- real father. His real father. Okay, so
1: wait, he, he got adopted, so he had two fathers. He had two fathers. So, and Macedonicus was just alright with that?
0: I guess Macedonicus was, was okay with that, because he saw it as politically advantageous. Plus, the other guy that adopted his son died shortly thereafter, so there wasn't a lot of competition. Uh, okay. So he got the good part about being adopted without the bad part.
1: Right, but it was just a little weird having two dads. What's the That's point? true. Okay, anyways, continue. I think it
0: was a very Roman thing.
1: Like, so he f- I guess like, like Caesar and Augustus, right? Yeah. But, but Augustus didn't have a dad. No,
0: I don't think Octavian had a dad at that point.
1: Yeah, no. I don't know. Right, I
0: don't know either, but from the little I know, it seems that this was not terribly uncommon. So Paulus Macedonicus decided when he was leaving for war, he was leaving to the east to fight the Macedons, and it was no longer Philip of Macedon, Mateo. It was now Philip's son called Perseus. What a name. Yeah. Perseus of Macedon was not abiding by the terms of the peace that his father, Philip V, had signed. And so the Romans were sending the legions back east under the command of Paulus, soon to be known as Macedonicus. And Paulus said, hey son, Come on with me. This is going to be a good learning experience for you. The truth is that Perseus had a great name, Matteo, but he didn't really stand a chance. There were some, a few, I would say, skirmishes in the beginning where it seemed like Perseus had something going, and then very quickly it became clear that Paulus and the Roman legions could not be trifled with. Right. There was a final battle at a place called Pydna, which was the, this is the last battle of the war, and Perseus was decisively defeated. At this point, Emilianus was 17 years old. He had been on campaign already for three years, from the ages of 14 to 17. And then, at the height of the Battle Matteo, something happened. Emilianus went missing. And according to, I believe this is Livy, and I quote, the whole army learned of the distress and anguish of their general who had just lost his son, and springing up from their suppers, they ran about with torches, many to the tent of Emilianus and many in front of the ramparts, searching among the numerous dead bodies. Dejection reigned in the camp, and the plain was filled with the cries of men, calling out the name of Scipio. For from the very outset, he had been admired by everybody, since beyond any other one of his family, he had a nature adapted for leadership in war and public service. Well then, when it was already late, and he was almost despaired of. He came in from the pursuit with two or three comrades covered with the blood of the enemies he had slain. So, I don't get it. He, he was fighting people? He was fighting people. Where? He was, it was towards the end of the battle, in the mopping up phase, and he had been out there with his buddies, killing enemies
1: at the age of 17. Well, no need to question his... Uh, mental state after that one.
0: (laughs) You're saying it was a good mental state or bad? Like at 17, you shouldn't be charging around and... Killing the stranglers? Yeah.
1: Well, who knows? It's not for us to say.
0: It's not for us to say, but do keep that in mind because I think it's a theme that's going to return in this episode. So this campaign was over. Paulus is on his way back to Rome, Matteo, and he did a couple things on the way out. One is... He took hostages from Greece's most noble families back with him to Rome. This was starting to become a Roman thing. It wasn't what the Romans used to do, but it is what the Romans are doing now. They're taking hostages and they're taking slaves. And one of the hostages, Matteo, was a man named Polybius. Name ring a bell? Something like that. The famous historian. And so Polybius joined the general's household and he became the tutor of Emilianus and his brother a brother that we're not going to talk about because apparently he did nothing in his life of merit because (laughs) I didn't read anything about him, poor guy. So Polybius was one of the great minds of the age, and he wound up tutoring what the Romans considered to be the last great politician of the high Republican period, and that is Emilianus. One last note about the dad, Matteo, Macedonicus, on his way home. He had one, but he decided that Rome needed to send a message. Because previously, Rome had been in Greece for a while after the end of the Second Macedonic War. Macedonian War, pardon me, and they had been treading lightly in Greece. And then Greece rose up again. So Paul has said, this time, guys, I want to teach you a tiny little lesson. So he went into a territory called Epirus.
1: Well, I know Epirus. Yes. It's just right across the Adriatic from... From Italy. Yeah.
0: And it's going to come back much, 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 much later in our story towards the very end of the Eastern Roman Empire. 1,500 years from now, Epirus
1: becomes a thing again. Because it remained a a kingdom underneath uh, the Byzantine Empire. It was one of the last remaining territories
0: of Rome at the very end. So my point is that Paulus marched into Epirus, even though the people of Epirus had not done anything to oppose Rome, even though they had always sided with Rome, even though they didn't support Perseus, he decided to rape, pillage, steal, destroy. He made a lesson of Epirus to scare the hell out of the rest of people of Greece. Does that sound Roman?
1: Well, not up to this. Well, actually, yeah. You know what? It does. What? I mean, they did. there was a lot of rape so far at this point in history in Rome's Early years, so... Okay, the rape thing, I agree. That's unfortunately been a topic a couple
0: times already in in our podcast. You
1: wouldn't expect it to be Roman. Like, well, I don't know. I think it's also like a sign of, like, Rome, where it's going at this
0: point. Mm, Good. Okay. Remember that. And we're going to come back to it. Emilianus appears again, Matteo, after this third Macedonian war. This time he appears in Spain. He's 34 years old now, so we've just jumped 17 years. And the Romans were trying to negotiate a peace with a Spanish tribe, the Celtiberians. And I bet you're thinking, what do you mean negotiate peace? Scipio had taken Spain from Carthage 50 years before. Is that what you were thinking? Well, weren't they living independently after that? They, they continued to be rabble-rousers in Spain. The Spanish tribes were not rolling over. And when Scipio left, you started to see again signs on the margins of Spanish tribes kind of pushing for independence.
1: Oh, the Spaniards.
0: They always did want independence. They, yeah. Even today. Even today? Well, they have it today. Yeah, but sort I Sort mean, of, like except for the EU, though.
1: No, but I mean, what's it called? The Catalonians wanting independence uh, from. Catalonia! Yeah. What are they called again? They're called the uh, Galatians? No, they're no, not called the Galatians. What am I talking about? They call them. Um, Basque I don't know whatever the Basques yeah they want independence by the way you pulled that out nicely I was worried this
0: was going to be one of those things that we wind up regretting later (laughs) I still don't think that's right I think well your mother's your mother's comment about Galicia Galicia no no it's not Galicia
1: Calithia. It's the Basques. Crap. Okay, okay let's right, move well, on. <laughs> so... What does mommy know about Spain, wh- anyway? Uh, <laughs> 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 Trouble, for that Trouble one. is coming down <laughs> oh, the pike. Yeah. Okay, okay,
0: quick, let's move on. <laughs> so, there is this war percolating in Rome, and in Rome, they were trying to sign up men for this new war, but the reality is, men didn't believe in it. Nobody was. You, I know you think that's funny, but no, no, I'm it's scared. going to come back I'm to scared. haunt us. I'm scared too, so that's why I'm saying trouble. let's move on. Right, Nobody in Rome was signing up for this new warrant in Spain, Mateo, and Emilianus saw it. He was on his way back to Macedon because Senate, the Senate had sent him on a cushy little yummy mission where he could get rich. Wait, who? Uh, uh, Emilianus. Oh, okay. And when Emilianus saw that Rome was having a hard time signing up troops for a new warrant in Spain, he signed up. He said, I'm not going to go on my my cushy ambassadorial job. I'm gonna go fight in Spain. So the young men of the city, shamed by what he did, started signing up in droves, and he was off to Spain. I'm not gonna get into the details of this war, but I will say, Mateo, he won what is called a mural crown. I do know what that is. You do? Yeah, it's, uh, it's like a wreath, right? It, that one's not a wreath. We talked last uh, about the grass crown in Fabius' episode. The mural crown looks like it's made of gold, and it resembles a city wall or battlements, mm. and it is given to the first soldier over the battlements in a in a war for a city. Uh, the first soldier to make it over and to plant a Roman standard on the walls of a captured city. And Aemilianus was that guy. He did that, and in this battle, Matteo, he also won what is known in Latin as the Spolia Opima, which is basically the armor of a slain king, or a slain opponent, because Emilianus challenged the Celtiberian king to single combat, and he won. And those are the greatest of war honors. That's
1: crazy. He's distinguishing himself. Yeah, I didn't know that the Romans did that single combat to end the battle type of thing.
0: They they did on occasion, and we're going to see it throughout history. It didn't happen often, but it did happen, including with one of my very personal favorites I'm putting out there right now, Heraclius. So, while this young man, less young now, 34 years old, is getting his experience in Macedon and in Spain. Mateo, trouble is brewing. Mateo, trouble is brewing. And it's brewing in Carthage.
1: Hmm. Does that surprise you? Well, they have a track record of brewing up some trouble, you know. So The question is, were they the ones brewing the trouble this time? The legitimacy is but you have to take into account and is what is a little skeptical to me so continue
0: I'm gonna I'm gonna keep moving on hang on to your skepticism all right what's been happening with Rome's old nemesis well in 202 they signed the peace treaty with Rome and the tr- peace treaty had some nuances to it you remember that they had to destroy their entire fleet of ships of their warships, not their mercantile ships, except for 10. They had to stop training war elephants. Big bummer. They could no longer wage war independently. They needed to ask Rome for permission, and they had to pay a massive indemnity to Rome. ton of money. But something funny happened, and I suspect that this is not going to surprise you, because you've mentioned this in the past. Carthage was not a warrior nation, right? Mm-mm. What were they in your opinion? Seafarers. They were a seafaring mercantile nation. Right. So what do you think happened when they no longer were able to invest in an army because somebody said no more. Your money can't go there.
1: Well they just had to put more money into the seafaring.
0: They went back to their roots. And their roots were trade, and their roots were making money, and Matteo, they were making a ton of money. In fact, by the 150s, they were just finishing paying off Rome the war indemnity, and the city was thriving. They were thrilled not to be spending money on the military, because that wasn't really who they were. But they had one little tiny problem, and his name was Massinissa.
1: Mmm, not Masinasa.
0: I have been saying his name wrong for the last couple of episodes. I am sorry. Well,
1: yeah, you're just spreading false information at this point. I am, so, but I'm correcting yeah, it right now. Now they're going to start taking into account the legitimacy of this podcast. D-
0: well, to our listeners, I am coming clean. I have been mispronouncing Masinisa's name for the last two podcasts. It is really Masinisa, not Masinasa, even though I think Masinasa sounds better. Musa. You can't say that anymore, for example. Nope. So that dude is still alive. The guy who was enemies with Scipio, then became friends and allies with Scipio, and was critical in the Battle of Zama, is still alive. And he is about 87 years old now. For 50 years, Matteo, since the end of the Second Punic War, he has been the king of Numidia, and he has been attacking Carthage, and chipping away, and chipping away, and annoying them, and annoying them, and taking territory and the Carthaginians could not do a darn thing about it because they couldn't wage war without Rome's permission. So for 50 years, they've been sending very polite letters to the Roman Senate. Dear Senate, would you mind terribly? We don't want to bother you, but could you ask your friend Masinissa to stop attacking us and taking our territory? It's not nice. Because Masinissa was very much still a Roman ally. So after 50 years of complaining, In the year 152 BC, Rome sends, not the first, but they send a new delegation, don't know what happened there. They sent a new delegation to Carthage, Mm -hmm. led by another Scipio. Just one of the bums that have the name. This guy was not a bum. Really? His name was Publius Cornelius Scipio Nasica Corculum. Does that name rock or what? It's cool. So, Publius Cornelius Scipio. Scipio, we know, means walking stick. Nasica means pointy nose. Oh, that's cool. And Corcula means particularly wise. So, this is a walking stick, pointy nose, very wise Scipio. He was cousin of Africanus, and he was actually married to his second cousin, a Cornelia, who was a daughter of Africanus.
1: Nothing weird about that.
0: A little incest, but light incest because it's not his two sec- cousins. His, it's his two cousins, like two cousins, his, second, second cousins. It's not technically illegal. It's his second cousin. Okay. It's not cool. I wouldn't advise it, but it wasn't illegal. Two. And it still isn't today. So guess who else was on this little fact finding mission to Carthage, Mateo? Our good buddy, Cato. I try not to dislike He's Cato like profoundly. He is a little bit like Palpatine. I would agree with you. He can't shoot uh, beams uh, from his fingers, we don't think. But he can do other things. So let's, let's get Sand into this.
1: Easier. Yes, I think so. He, he's like, you know that scene in Star Wars where Anakin's sitting watching the show with Palpatine? And then he goes like, um, do you know the tragedy of Darth Plagueis? <laughs> like that. And then you find out he's the Sith Lord. That's like this.
0: I feel it too and I didn't think about it before until you brought it up to me, so let's keep going. He was a cranky old man, Cato the Elder. Even when he was a young man, he was a cranky old man. He was born in 234, Matteo. Remember we talked about him in the episode of Scipio Africanus. He was born a year after Scipio Africanus, so they were contemporaries. Scipio was long gone at this point for 30-plus years. Cato is still around. Just like Fabius in the Second... Punic War, Cato was an old guard conservative. All right? 202 was Zama. We're now in the year around 152, Mateo, when that embassy was sent. Cato is 84 years old. So you have this octogenarian, octogenarian? Wow, I really mispronounced that. Octogenarian. So terribly sorry about that, in Cato. And you also have Masinissa, who is like 100,000 years old. Cato was a fierce defender of old Roman values. He was anti-Greek influence, he hated the Greeks, he hated Greek literature, he hated Greek culture, and he especially hated Greek doctors, and there are a lot of rants of him. He wrote a letter to his son at one point, telling his son to stay away from Greek doctors because they're going to try to kill you. That's nice. So, Scipio Africanus loved Greek culture, he thought the Romans could learn something from the Greeks, Cato was the antithesis of that, but most importantly, Matteo, he was anti-Carthage. So, when Scipio, Nasica, Corculus, Cato, and a bunch of senators arrived in Carthage to see what was going on, they were expecting to see a weak Carthage, but that is not what they saw, and it freaked Cato out. Instead, they saw a Carthage that had been trading for 50 years because they were not able to wage war, and they were resurgent, and they were powerful, and they were very rich. And in fact, around this time, they finally uh, finished paying off the Romans the the war debt. While he was there, Scipio, Nasica and Mateo went to visit Massinissa, the Roman ally in Numidia, and said, buddy, he was on his deathbed at this point, please stop attacking Carthage. And Massinissa said, oh yeah, definitely, I'll definitely stop attacking Carthage. As soon as the Romans left, Massinissa was back at it, attacking Carthage, and you can imagine what's coming next. Cato returns to Rome. He goes to the Senate, and there, Matteo, he begins calling for war against Carthage. Hmm. We talked about this last episode. Cartago de lenda est. He ended every single speech with the same. What's for lunch? Cartago de lenda est. Uh, what's the weather today? Cartago de lenda est. You get the, my, my drift. It was all about destroying Carthage. And when you think about this, it's not just a war. He was calling for genocide. He wanted to wipe out the Carthaginians as a race, not just the city, eliminate them. But not everybody in the Senate felt the same, Matteo. And many felt... Like the Jedi. Yes. Many felt that for Rome to be Rome, for Rome to be able to stick to the old values, Rome needed a great enemy. A great enemy would keep Rome humble. A great enemy would remind Rome of its origin principles. So Scipio Nasica thought that Rome would lose something important, its discipline, its unifying principle if it lost its great rival. A Medis Hostilis. And this is why he said, at the end of every speech he made, Cartago Servanda Est. Carthage must be saved. Mm. So in the Senate, you have one guy, this old crank, saying Carthage must be destroyed. And on the other side, you have this prominent member of the Scipio family saying, no, Carthage must be saved because having an enemy is good for Rome. And he was an impressive guy, Matteo. He wasn't just some fellow that fell into a last name. He was a two-time consul. He was the Princip Senatus, He was the Pontifex Maximus. And you and I met him, in a way.
1: Oh, we saw his tomb?
0: We had the privilege of going to the tomb of the Scipios, which to our listeners, if you have the opportunity to go, it is an incredible place. You need to schedule the visit ahead of time. You can't simply show up, but its it will blow you away. It was the tomb of the Scipios for about 500 years, and the only prominent Scipio not to be buried there was Africanus, for reasons that we've already discussed. The basic argument of Scipio Nasica was that Rome's strength should be judged not by the weakness of others, but by showing herself greater than the great. And his argument worked for a time. That was the status quo, back and forth, Cato and Scipio, until the year 150, Matteo. And in the year 150, Carthage got tired of Masinissa's attacks, they raised an army because Rome was not defending them, and Rome had pledged in the peace agreement after the senec Punic War to defend Carthage, and they weren't doing it. They raised an army, and they went to attack Massinissa, And that, Matteo, was all Cato needed. Why? Because Carthage had broken the law, and the Romans were incredibly legalistic. So now they had their justification for war.
1: Casas, baby.
0: They had their casus belli, and in the year 149, Rome declared war
1: on Carthage. How are you feeling about this? <sighs> it seems like very Star Wars to me, like like Palpatine.
0: Like the bad guys seize control of the Republic, and they're maneuvering things?
1: Yeah, like Palpatine.
0: Yep. Cato's like Palpatine. And in fact... He looks a lot
1: like Palpatine. He does? I think that... You saw what he looks like?
0: We should... We're going to post... Listeners, by the time this is posted, please go to LostRomanHeroes.com, and you will find a picture of Cato the Elder. Oh,
1: Jesus. (laughs) And
0: you will let us know if you think he looks like Emperor Palpatine. I think he looks scarier than Palpatine, frankly. He looks like Squidward from... Yeah, he does look a little bit like Squidward. Yeah, the nose. The nose is a little funky. He died in 149? Yeah, yeah. So he died right after they declared war. He died right after they declared war. Yep, that is that is true. So the Romans set sail Matteo for Carthage with a massive 80,000-man 80, army. 80,000 men. There were two consuls in charge of this army. And by the way, 80,000,
1: we're talking... Crazy, that's that, that, the... the The army that lost at Kane, the biggest biggest army that they ever assembled.
0: Yes, yeah, they weren't joking around. They wanted to end this and end this quickly. There were two consuls that were sent. A guy named, you're gonna love this name, I've been so looking forward to sharing this with you, Manius Manilius. What
1: the heck? He has the same first name as his last name. (laughs) Mani!
0: That's Central American. Mani, Mani. Mani! Wait, quieres un cafecito, Mani?
1: I don't think that's how they were talking to him back then. No?
0: <laughs> so, Manius Menilius and Lucius Marcius Censorinus were the two consuls. They landed in a place we're not familiar with, Cape Bon. That's where Regulus landed, where Africanus landed and someday Belisarius will land right next to the city of Utica. Utica declared for the Romans. Said, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're not going to mess around with you. Whatever you want, we'll give it to you. And Mateo, Carthage, they sent an embassy to Utica and they asked the Romans for peace. Guys, we want peace. We don't want war. We are just trying to defend ourselves from this guy that keeps bugging us and bugging us and bugging us. And the Romans said, the consuls said, You want peace? That's fine. First, send us all your weapons. So Carthage sent 20,000 sets of armor and 2,000 catapults. The Romans said, we want hostages. The Carthaginians sent 100 children from their leading families. Mm. And then they sailed their entire fleet to Utica, Mateo, and they burned their entire fleet of ships. Do you think that was enough for the Romans? No. You got a bad feeling about this, right? Yeah. Me too. I'm not proud of what comes next. Censorius said... That is not enough. They said, What else do you want? The Senate wants you to destroy the city of Carthage and to move inland. We will allow you to live, but the city needs to go. And you can no longer be a maritime power. You need to move inland. That was it, Matteo. Carthage had no choice. Do you think they had a choice at this no. point?
1: And they already set themselves behind so much by giving all that shit away and burning yeah. their ships. So it would
0: be war. They had no choice. They had a general, a general that had been fighting previously against Masinissa, and they had arrested him because the Romans said that you shouldn't be fighting. His name was Hasdrubal, a name rich in history that we've seen over and over again in the last few episodes. So Hasdrubal was put in charge of a new army. He raised an army of 20,000. Inexperienced troops versus 80,000 legionnaires for the Romans. And the Romans laid siege to Carthage. You think it would be over quick, right? No, they didn't go down down without a fight. Because they were fighting for their lives. Plus, we haven't talked about it much. But first of all, Carthage was a huge city, Mateo. The best estimate is that the population of the city at this point may have been as much as 700,000. Is that more than Rome at the time? It was right there, neck and neck with Rome, maybe even bigger. The walls of Carthage were stout, 30 feet wide, 50 to 70 feet high, with a 70-foot ditch in front. The city was well-built and well-defended. As the siege rolls on, disease hits the Roman camp because Censorius apparently was not particularly competent. He chose a bad location for the camp and disease ravaged his troops. Carthage started making successful raids against the Romans and things were not looking great. Emilianus was there, Matteo. He was a military tribune, so a senior officer and he distinguished himself. When the Carthaginians led a surprise attack on the Roman camp of Censorius, Emilianus organized the cavalry. He rode out the back of the camp and he attacked the Carthaginians from behind and he broke the attack and drove them back to Carthage. There was another nighttime attack on a fort protecting Roman supply lines. Emilianus organized the defense and drove them off. And he also got some of Carthage's Numidian cavalry to defect. Around this time, Matteo, he was given the Grass Crown by the troops. Remember the Grass Crown? Yeah, the one
1: that, uh, on that Cunctator one, right?
0: Precisely, yeah. That, that's only granted when an officer is able to save, save an, an army, army yeah. from complete destruction. So this was a valiant guy and a great warrior. Right. So he was personally successful, but Rome was losing, or at least they weren't winning what was supposed to be a very easy war. So the Senate came to this conclusion, and you sort of can't blame them. They said, in order for us to be successful in Africa, we've only been successful once, and it was because we had a guy named Scipio Africanus. So we need another Scipio to lead the army if we're going to pull this off. So in 147 BC, Emilianus was named consul, Mateo. Even though he was too young, by law, he was only 36 years old. There was a minimum age, by law, of 41 years old to be consul, and they waived the requirement, said Just whatever like with the law. Just like with his grandpa. Exactly right. And they assigned him Africa. Usually they draw lots to see what region a consul will get, but they said no. You're a consul, we're breaking the law, and you're going to Africa. This was very rare. He was allowed to conscript as many soldiers as he wanted. Remember when they sent his grandfather to Africa?
1: Yeah, they say he can only have 25.
0: Not even, 7,000. He raised 7,000 troops, plus the two old Kenai legions. Oh, that's true. So this guy, it was as many men as you want. So he gets to Africa, and Matteo, right away, he starts cracking down on the Roman troops, instilling discipline training the men, building them back up, because they had been there for two years at this point, and they were failing to win. Finally, when he was ready, when the troops were ready, he led a night attack, he broke into Carthage, he couldn't hold it, he retreated. And then a year later, he launched a full-scale assault, he breached the walls, and Matteo, now it's over. Over six days, the Romans fought house to house in the narrow streets of Carthage, killing everyone setting the city on fire. Hannibal was in the citadel of Carthage and safe, and finally he surrendered to Scipio Amelianus.
1: Hannibal was there?
0: Hannibal was there. He had been fighting and realized the fight was over. There was nothing he could do. Why wasn't he in charge of the armies? I'm sorry, Hasdrubal. Hasdrubal. Sorry, this is Hasdrubal. No, this is way after Hannibal. Hannibal is long dead. Forgive me. I meant to say... Hasdrubal surrendered to Scipio Africanus. Hasdrubal the commander of the Carthaginian troops, and Hasdrubal's wife, who was also in the citadel, was so horrified by the cowardice of her husband that she killed herself after killing their
1: children. She refused to be taken prisoner by the Romans. Well, uh, cowardice or defeat and stuff like that was a very big... No, in a Carthaginian culture? Yes. They would kill their generals that were defeated in battle.
0: So the general surrendered, and the general's wife killed her children and herself. Rome took 50,000 prisoners as slaves, Matteo. Those were not all the people left alive in Carthage. There were thousands that fled to the countryside, and Carthaginian culture survived for another eight or 900 years. But the city of Carthage was done for it. The Senate ordered Scipio to destroy the city to the very last stone and there is a myth, there is a legend that after destroying the city to the last stone, he sowed the ground with salt, Matteo, probably a myth, but really intense, salt so that no crops would ever grow again where the city of Carthage once stood. And that's the end, Damn. Now Augustus will rebuild this city. Matteo, in a couple hundred years. And it will become one of the leading cities of the Roman Empire, and especially the Eastern Roman Empire after the fall of the West. We'll be back here, Matteo, when we talk about Heraclius. But that is the end of the Third Punic War, and it is the end of Phoenician Carthage. So, before you tell me how you feel about Emilianus and his role in all of this, this is what Polybius said, about Scipio, after the destruction of Carthage, because Polybius was with him, eyewitness. This is what he said. Scipio, when he looked upon the city as it was utterly perishing, and in the last throes of its complete destruction, is said to have shed tears, and wept openly for his enemies.
1: I mean, kinda just like Anakin though, you know? And when you've seen the temple burn and all that, he was like, somber. But he, like, he couldn't turn back now, you know? I don't know, they didn't stand a chance. They didn't stand a chance? No. A lot like Anakin, right? Yeah, when he was like, killing the kids. Jesus, oh man, this is not, this is not a happy ending. No, it's not.
0: It's not a happy ending. I've been super conflicted all week as I've been researching this. And I wanted to like Emilianus. He has such a great setup. All right, let's not get into judging him yet. If anybody wants to go to our website, www.lostromanheroes.com, you'll see a painting of this image of Scipio and Polybius standing before the broken walls of Carthage. It's very cool. So now we're beyond the death of Carthage. In 134 BC, Emilianus is elected consul again, Mateo, and he sent back to Spain again. The Celtiberians of the city of Numantia. This is another tribe. They had been holding out against Rome for nine years. And the Roman army was demoralized. And here comes Anakin. I mean Emilianus. Emilianus shows up in Spain, he grabs those demoralized troops. He reorganizes them. He built a nine kilometer wall around the city of Numantia. The enemy couldn't escape. He starved them into submission. And when they submitted Matteo, what did he do? He destroyed the city. He sold all of its inhabitants into slavery, except for 50, which he kept. Why? Out of the goodness of his heart? No. Because he wanted them in his triumph when he returned to Rome. This was a darkening Rome. Now they didn't negotiate, Matteo, honorable treaties with their defeated enemies. They destroyed them. And it's really bothering me. It's really bothering me. This is not the Rome of Scipio Africanus or a Cincinnatus or a Camillus. This the is hire
1: a higher of the Republic.
0: This is a different Rome. So from here, Scipio returns to the city of Rome where he was known by later Romans as the last great politician of the Republican period. Cicero and others would talk about him and fawn over him. And this is kind of cool. Cicero wrote a fictional account of Melianus called Somnium Scipionis, Dream of the Scipios, about a hundred years later. And this is a little excerpt from it, which I think you'll like. This is a dreaming. Upon his arrival in Carthage, he was a guest at the court of Massinissa. Scipio Emilianus is visited by his dead grandfather by adoption, Scipio Africanus, hero of the Second Punic War. He finds himself looking down upon Carthage from a high place, full of stars shining and splendid. His future is shown to him by his grandfather, and great stress is placed upon the loyal duty of the Roman soldier, who will, as a reward after death, inhabit that circle that shines forth among the stars, which you have learned from the Greeks to call the Milky Way. That was written in about 60 BC about Scipio Aemilianus. Kind of cool. So this Aemilianus character, we're talking about him like Anakin, but he was an intellectual. He was a patron of the arts and philosophy. He was pro-Greek culture, pro-conservative Roman values, and he created what was known as the Scipionic Circle, a group of 27 philosophers. Greeks and Stoics, artists and politicians in Rome. They were the best and the brightest. They were like, uh, it was like the, the, the palace of the Medici. You know, all, he was able to attract these exceptional people to him. But as you can imagine, not everybody likes that kind of a show off. So he was adopted by Scipio, remember, he was the son of Apollos and he married a girl named Sempronia. Sempronia Matteo was a daughter of Cornelia. Cornelia was his mom. Was the daughter of Scipio Africanus. Was his mom. So not only was this guy,
1: he married his sister. No,
0: no, no. Yes.
1: Listen, listen.
0: Yes. No, no, no. He, no, no. He was the adopted grandson of Scipio. Yeah, but
1: his father, Paulus Macedonius or whatever, married Mm -hmm. his second cousin, who was Scipio's daughter, right? Uh, Who was Cornelia, right?
0: Yeah, I think maybe I got one of their names wrong. Uh, I think I got one of their names wrong. He married his sister because he was he married (laughs) he didn't marry his sister. He married, let's say, let's call her a cousin. Anyways, he married this girl named Sempronia, who was the daughter of Cornelia, who was the daughter of Scipio Africanus. Sempronia had two brothers. They were called Tiberius and Gaius Gracchus. We're going to talk about those guys in our next episode. But suffice it to say that Emilianus was not a big fan of his brothers-in-law. They were rabble-rousers. They weren't conservative. They wanted to overthrow traditional order and Roman values. And there was a lot of conflict there. And shortly after this period of time, when he returns to Rome after his success in Spain, he dies. 129 BC, he was 55 years old. And some say, Mateo, that he did not die of natural causes, rather that his mother-in-law and his wife conspired to kill him because he was not supporting his brother's-in-law, known as the Gracchi. And that is the end of the story of Emilianus. There are two postscripts to his story. One is something that I think will blow you away and you'll like, because I feel like we're in a bit of a funk now after a story, because we've moved over to the dark side. A little tidbit of juicy historical fact for you. In 1985, Matteo, 2,131 years after the Third Punic War ended, the mayor of Rome, a guy by the name of Ugo Vettere, and the mayor of Tunis, which is where the ancient city of Carthage lies today in Tunisia. A guy by the name of Kedi Klibi signed a peace treaty on the 5th of February, officially ending hostilities between Rome
1: and Carthage. That is awesome. (laughs) Right? That's awesome, yeah.
0: I thought that was incredible, too. Maybe we can find a picture of them signing the peace treaty and put it up on the website. Yeah, That'd be cool. And we will just say this as we close Emilianus' episode, because it's been haunting me all week, Matteo. Change is in the air in Rome in 146 BC. 146 BC is the year in which Carthage is destroyed. And it is also the year, Matteo, across the Mediterranean in the east when the Romans destroyed ancient Corinth in Greece. The Corinthians had been pushing back on Roman encroachment on Greece, and Rome's response was, not to defeat the Corinthians, but to destroy the Corinthians, they burnt the ancient city to the ground because they refused to submit. What has changed in the Roman character? Why is it becoming this darker thing? It is now submit or die. It is not the Rome of Scipio Africanus of 50 years before. And you said it, and we talked about it at the beginning of this episode, it is like Luke walking in, not Luke, uh, Anakin walking into the Jedi Temple to kill the young Jedi, something fundamental is happening here. And it's not the only thing. We see it in other ways. Roman generals in the field are becoming more and more powerful, Matteo. They're becoming richer. They're taking loot for themselves. The Romans are victorious around the Mediterranean and they're bringing back tens and hundreds of thousands of slaves into Italy. Italy And Rome was a place of soldier farmers. Now we just have soldiers because the farmers are no longer needed. Now we have senators with their massive farms employing slaves that they don't need to pay. Something is afoot. Roman society is divided between the haves and the have-nots more than it ever has in its history. And it is setting us up, Matteo, for the last chapter of the Roman Republic before the rise of empire. And that's it. You're quiet. Nothing else to say.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's sad. It's sad, it's sad. My personal favorite era was the High Republic era in Rome's history, so yes. it's a sad thing to see.
0: My last comment on this is that I agree with Scipio Nasicus, which is Rome needs a great enemy to be great. And to some extent, you and I talked about this in our introductory episode, which is, can you be a hero if you're just beating up on everyone? Can you be a hero if you don't have a challenge to stand up to? Right
1: And they're eventually going to have another another mortal enemy, which is, uh, if I believe I'm saying the quote right, it's the two eyes to make the world go round Yes, you're absolutely right the Persians
0: will be a mortal enemy and in some ways the barbarian tribes and the Goths and the Vandals as well and the Huns will present mortal threats to Rome so we'll come back to that and which is one of the reasons why I love the story of the later Roman Empire, but it's never going to be the same, though. There, it will never be the same.
1: Because the Rome, like in the in the Republic era, Rome saw Carthage as being like they equal, you know. Yes. But even later on in history, like Rome never sees someone else as being their equal again. Only Persia.
0: Equal in war, equal in culture, equal in civilization. Only Persia. Only Persia. So we'll get back there. All right, that's it for Emiliano Mateo. It is time now to rank him. First, how would you rank his military success?
1: But is that real success? I mean, it wasn't even. It shouldn't have even been a, ch- a challenge, like statistically. You know what I mean? Like I don't know. When it comes to later on, you said he fought the the Celtiberians. Yeah, the Celtiberians. Yeah. I don't know anything about them. Yeah. I don't know anything about that battle, but I guess he was successful there too. And his first, I, I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I guess it's moderate, like he's successful, but was, he really, was there really a big challenge in front of him? I don't know about that. So I, I guess he was. So a five is average. Yeah, a 10 is. A 10 is Scipio Africanus. And a zero is you shouldn't, you, everything went wrong. Yeah, we- so I'm going to give him a six, you know?
0: Okay. You're going to give him a six? Yeah. I think I'm going to give him a five. But I'm, I'm with you. Six is good. All right. Let's talk now about his political uh, uh, success. On a scale of zero to ten, how do we rank this guy?
1: I mean, I don't really know a lot of what he did in politics, but I guess the Senate... They loved him a lot, right? I mean, he was named Africanus after this. Yes. And they idolized him for years. Yes. Like he became a legend, I guess. And they kept yes. writing about him even 100 years later. That is true. Cicero. So I guess he was pretty successful politically. So I'm his,
0: He had all the support that his adopted grandfather never had.
1: Right. Yeah, so. I mean, they said that he could raise as, as many troops as as as, he, as much as he wanted. They gave him consulship and broke the law. You know, he, yeah. he hadn't really done... Like, as much as Scipio did to be put in that position. yes. So I guess I'll give him an 8.5. He did pretty well.
0: I, I agree with you. I, I think 8.5, why not? I, I was thinking 8-ish, uh, but I'm good with that. All right, I'm going to go for a solid 8. And, all right. Mateo, this one is, like, the most subjective, but it, it means a lot to me. His cool hero factor. What is his coolness? This guy that was weeping in front of the walls of the city that he just destroyed. I am, I want to give him, like, a two.
1: I don't think he's cool.
0: I'm actually really upset with him.
1: Yeah, I don't really particularly like him. You know? Nor do I. He let himself... I mean, it looks like he was in it for, like, the personal glory, you know? Mm. Especially, like, later on, you see him taking, like, a blittering a city, a city and just taking back 50 slaves yeah. for his triumph. It seems like he was just thinking for the glory. And, which does not resemble his grandfather at no,
0: all. No, I was just thinking that. If Scipio Africanus had received the order from the Senate to destroy Carthage, would he have done so?
1: I don't know. But I don't think he's very cool either, so I'll go ahead and give him a two as well.
0: Yeah. All right. So we're we're giving a two. And, you know, as we're doing the scoring, you can see, and we've been talking about this the last several episodes, there's going to come a point where we're not going to be giving these high marks because we're going to be getting out of the realm of the gods and into the realm of mortals. Yeah. And this feels like our first mortal. Wouldn't you agree? Well, I think Maybe like Fabius
1: was immortal. I think, yeah, I think in the past we had some too, but... Yeah, he's just... I don't know.
0: So let's move on to his impact on a scale of 0 to 10. How would you rate his impact?
1: Um, look, if Carthage kept on surviving, Carthage was not what it was. Carthage no. opposed, didn't oppose a threat to Rome. Was he really uh, that impactful? Yeah that's something else you have to take into question you know i mean obliterating carthage yeah carthage eventually becomes a roman territory and it becomes one of the most influential cities whatever like you said either ways i think carthage would have still succumbed to rome and become you know one of their big staples in africa so i'm not sure how impactful he was i mean carthage didn't really oppose a threat to rome they had twenty thousand soldiers green soldiers they didn't have a fleet because they just burned it all. In either ways, they didn't have warships, remember? Yeah. They were just mer- merchant ships. Yeah. So, I don't know. I don't think he was very impactful.
0: And, and I, I agree with you, and my issue is that I feel like his impact was a negative impact. I mean, you, you could say that if it weren't Emilianus, somebody was going to lead troops into Carthage and destroy Carthage. But well, we're not talking...
1: Yeah, the thing is, we're not talking about the Third Punic War. We're talking about Emilianus. We're
0: talking about Emelianus, so, and, and I would agree with you. So,
1: let's let's... Call this. It's a war that was already... I mean, it was a war that Carthage was already destined to lose, so their fate was already written. I don't think he was very impactful. Yeah, I am mean, gonna. So, so score it. I'm going to say anybody could have done that. All well, right. Well, even though like we kind of saw that whoever was leading the army at that point had been doing a bad job. The, yeah, two consuls
0: were trying to do it, and they couldn't. But still. But we, got, we captured that in his military success. Uh, this is about his big-picture impact, and I'm going to go low. Me too. Even though the Romans themselves said that he was
1: impactful, I just don't. Well, feel that's because they're trying to hide in their own hubris. Uh, which I is something that they had did a lot.
0: Try, you know what? I think there's truth to what you say. So, what are you thinking? I'm thinking like a four.
1: Yeah, I'll give him a four too.
0: Okay, so two fours that gives Scipio Emilianus a forty-nine percent, Matteo, a
1: thirty-nine point five. Which is, and a, that, I, is that our lowest score? That
0: is far and away our lowest score to date. So, Scipio Africanus, uh, Emilianus, that leaves us with one last question to ask, which is, does this guy belong, Mateo, in our Hall of Heroes?
1: I'm, I'm going to say no. You know I'm going to say no. <laughs> I'm going to say no, yeah, and I know you're going to say All no, right.
0: too. So, Emilianus, you're not in. You are not in, and you are now officially our lowest scorer. After the next lowest scorer is Aeneas, and he broke our streak 50 heroes since Romulus. Yes. No, we didn't put Fabius in the hall oh, of heroes right, either. You're right, you're right. So that oh, is right. it for Emilianus. I don't think that a clap is appropriate. You didn't make it into the hall of heroes, and
1: and I'm sure Scipio, the the real Scipio, would have been kind of ashamed. And it just goes to show that maybe it's not his fault because Emilianus was a product of where the Roman Republic was going. And that is imperialistic. Yes. And empires.
0: Bum, bum, yeah.
1: Bum, bum, yeah. yeah. yeah, bum, yeah. Oh, yeah. So.
0: We usually talk about an alternative history here. I don't know if we need to get into it much. Yeah. Because if it weren't him, it would have been someone.
1: Yeah, and you know. Basically, they would have succeeded.
0: Cartago delenda est. Cato was going to make certain of that.
1: Screw that cat. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I agree with you. I really don't like Cato in the least bit. Palpatine. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll come across one of his descendants in about 100 years. So that's it for today. If you want to learn more about the Punic Wars, I would highly recommend a book called Carthage Must Be Destroyed by. Richard Miles. It's excellent, and it covers the three Punic Wars from the perspective of Carthage. A little depressing and sad. Very well written. Uh, if you're interested in seeing to our listeners where we are with our list of heroes, we're now publishing the list on our website at www.lostromanheroes.com. We added a new tab on the website which has the list of heroes. We'll update it after this goes live so you can see... How people rank and stack up so far. We begged you last week for reviews and going to beg you again, please, to our listeners. We know you guys are out there and listening, and we're so proud to see the downloads growing and new countries coming online. But we really need reviews because reviews are so impactful in terms of getting the podcast good placement on Spotify and on iTunes and wherever you, you listen to your podcast. So please, it doesn't need to be an elaborate review. Just a few words. Good, bad, or indifferent, it doesn't matter. But we really need to hear from you. Thank you. On the subject of new countries, you are popping up all the time. And this week, I was super excited to see Puerto Rico, Argentina, India, and...
1: Spain. Espana. Espana. We were just talking about <laughs> Yeah, we Galicia. were. Galicia. Yeah. <laughs> I think it is Galicia, by the way. Yeah. I really hope I don't get that. N- right.
0: No, I'm sure you're not right. It's the Basques. The Basques have been wanting to break away for a long, long time. But it's okay. We'll. Yeah. I'm sure we'll get good feedback once we post this uh, from people that have different ideas.
1: Is so, Galicia the people that became Portuguese? No. I'm, I'm so confused. Right. Oh, okay. I should
0: stop. We should stop inventing on the podcast because then yeah. it's out there. Yeah. And so now, as we always do, would like to read at least one, Mateo. Let's read one um, a review. And the review that I would like to read is from uh, a listener
1: called My Time Monday. Would you please read that one? Right. Monday ritual, five stars. I have to say, Mondays have become my favorite day just because of this podcast. I have always loved history, but find it dull sometimes, and my mind wanders. It's not a possibility with this show. The duo's banter and relaxed approach make the topic fun and engaging. I would love to see you guys in video. Please keep it going.
0: Awesome. Love the review. Mateo, what do you think about the video idea of us recording one of our podcasts and posting it onto YouTube?
1: I don't know. Maybe one day. Yeah? Maybe if we see a little more growth. <laughs> if we see more, okay.
0: <laughs> all right. Well, someday I would love to do that. I think it would be fun. Anyways, to all of our listeners, thank you so much. Please leave us reviews or email us at info at lostromanheroes.com or contact us on Twitter, Twitter uh, at Lost Roman Heroes or Instagram, hashtag Lost Roman Heroes. We would love to hear from you. And we will see you next week. Next week, we've already mentioned it, But we're going to be talking about Emilianus' brother-in-law, Tiberius Sempronius Gracchus. Tiberius is one of my favorite names. Fantastic name. Yeah. Gracchus is a cool last name. Eh. Eh? Gracchus is alright. Gracchus? Yeah. Not so cool. Well, we'll see if he did cool stuff. Gracchus
1: sounds like someone that doesn't take showers.
0: He was, I'm sure a guy that did not take showers, and you will see more why the next week. In the meantime, I think that we can all say that the times, they are a changing. Yeah. Bum, 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 We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye, bye.